Welcome back to part two of our conversation about being radical traditional feminists and how we apply it to social justice. The entire entire kind of problem with um, society dealing with social justice issues is perhaps the party that does wield more of the power feels that they're being pulled down. Mm. When the person quote underneath is saying, this isn't fair, this isn't right. Can we do X, Y, and Z to make this more fair? That more powerful party feels like they're being pulled down and feels like they're having something taken away. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, and that's a tough thing to change people's minds about as we've seen. Yes, indeed. Yes, there, there is that, that, that maddening belief that in order for someone else to be treated fairly and be respected, that means that we have to be unfair to someone else and disrespect right. someone else. And no, that's not, that's not how that works. That's like saying, if you love one kid, then you have to love one kid less because you have this finite supply of of love that you can dole out to your children. No, that's, again, that is not how that works. <laughs> I love the meme that says, uh, it's a pie. And it says, just because somebody else asks for a piece of pie doesn't mean you get less pie. That means, or something like, oh gosh, I can't even, that's backwards. Um, oh, it's like rights are not like pie because somebody else is asking for a slice of pie doesn't mean that you get none. That's not how pie works. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. like you can always bake another pie. <laughs> <laughs> Social justice isn't pie. <laughs> it's no. not finite. <laughs> exactly. Um, when I think about how I fit in with the feminist mold, I do think it's a little bit complicated, but in some senses, it's really not. I, I went to school, I majored in math and economics, which are two male dominated fields. I went and got a graduate degree um, and I teach economics and statistics. Um, and so it would be very strange to come out of all that and then say, I'm not really a feminist. I mean, of course I am. <laughs> um, my husband and I have split childcare responsibilities over the parenting years. He has taken time off work as have I. Um, and so I think the main things that, um, that a person might observe that would make them question, um, my commitment to feminism would just be if they misunderstand the basis for my consistent life ethic beliefs. And they think that it has something to do with, um, restricting freedoms of women, which I don't think it does, but I I certainly, a, a person might perceive that it does. Um, and so I've really made a point of, of trying to clarify and express where that consistent life ethic comes from, part, partly because I know uh, that the people I interact with, particularly in my professional circles, are likely to misunderstand uh, automatically what my view is if I don't explain it. And so mm-hmm. I, I, I take it on myself to try to do a, a careful job of explaining and defending uh, my views. Um, however, in church, um, first of all, let me just mention, I mean, I was, I was in a women's group not so long ago, um, in which um, we were talking and reading a, a book about marriage. And I remember distinctly one woman saying, well, I mean, I'm not, I'm certainly not a feminist. Um, and I thought, I, I think in, at least in some corners of the church, like the, 
the standard thing is to say that you're not a feminist. I'm not actually sure if they're not feminists, but they definitely know they're not supposed to identify as feminists. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yes. This woman had a college degree. She had worked outside the home, even when there were children in her home. Uh, and so uh, to some degree, I thought, I, I think there are circles of the, of the world, especially the evangelical world, where feminist is still the thing that you know, Rush Limbaugh defined. Uh, yeah. And so in that sense, you're not allowed to identify as a feminist. Um, I obviously reject his definition yeah. and a lot of other things <laughs> about him and what he has said. Um, but within the church, I do think, um, I, as I was writing notes to myself, I said, I sometimes think people might perceive me as having gone rogue. <laughs> um, and this, this woman and I, I continue to just insist on having this full-time job, even though I have kids and my kids have a lot of needs. And I... Um, I seem to be pretty attached to the idea of, of sticking with what I'm doing. And, um, and I am not sure so to, sort of how people view that from the outside, but it's incredibly rare in my church circles. And so um, it's certainly something that I sometimes wonder about as I think, um, what do people observe or what do they assume about, um, about what I think about women's roles when they look at what I'm choosing to do with my mm -hmm. role. Mm -hmm. I'm actually listening to um, a podcast series about uh, Phyllis Schlafly and gosh, she was wild. Um, <laughs> but the, the, just what stands out so much about her is that she's selling books. She's going on book tours. She's doing all of these things, but saying a woman's place is in the home. Mm. So she's going on book tours and handing her, her freshly, breastfed baby to someone to hold the baby while she goes up and speaks telling women that they belong in the home and so she was a feminist but gosh you could not say that to phyllis schlafly oh no <laughs> you do not call phyllis schlafly a feminist um you know and she you, she did a lot of other pretty intense things that had vast rippling effects on even politics mm -hmm. today um, yeah. but yeah, I just think that conversation is so interesting that women and, are doing things that they choose to do and then saying they're not feminists. Yes. And I, I remember when I realized that, oh my gosh, I'm a feminist. I was in high school in the 1990s. There was a lot of flack over Hillary Clinton having made a comment about uh, stay at home moms, housewives, baking cookies and how that wasn't her. And I was listening to that and I was listening to all the things that other people were saying about it. And I'm like, well, why can't a woman stay home and be a stay at home mom and be a housewife and bake cookies? There's nothing wrong with that. Women should be able exactly. to choose that and not be looked down on for choosing that. Mm -hmm. Now, at the time I was going to a specialized high school for the sciences, I would go on to get a degree in plant sciences and then proceed to be a stay at home mom for 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, when I started college, I expected that I would be earning a graduate degree, doing research in a lab or in, a, in the field. I still prefer to be in a lab doing experiments or in the field, just running around chasing. I don't chase animals. I do not want to interact with anything that can actively kill me. But <laughs> <laughs> that, that's my rule. I studied plants because I have to do something for a plant to kill me. I don't really have to do anything for an animal to kill me. 
<laughs> but uh, coming back to my point, which was that, you know, in high school, I was watching people complain that women were choosing to stay home and care for their families and insisting that a real feminist is someone who would go out into the world and be like a man. And I'm like, no, no, women should be able to choose for themselves what they want to do. And they shouldn't be looked down on for working outside the home. They shouldn't be looked down on for working in the home because guess what? Parenting is work. Mm-hmm. Newsflash, right? I, I don't know if y'all know this, but parenting and mothering is in fact work. And no woman should be looked down upon for choosing that as her profession. No woman should be looked down upon for choosing to have an additional profession besides the mothering. We also shouldn't be looked down upon for being like, mm, you know what? I don't think I should have children. Okay, mm-hmm. go for it. Mm-hmm. And people who were claiming to be feminists were criticizing women for making choices about their own lives. I'm like, uh, yeah, I don't think you know what feminist means, man. <laughs> <laughs> yes, 16-year-old me is like, y'all don't know what feminist really is. And my experiences to this point has not really changed that. For me, feminism is about giving women the freedom to make the choices that they want to make for their lives and then respecting that choice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> so I don't, I don't, we, we have a little bit of time left. I know, I don't know if I want to open this can of worms just yet, but Nikki, <laughs> you, you mentioned social, social justice. Mm-hmm. You know, in some circles in the church, you know, if you attach the word social to the word justice, oh my no, oh no, oh no, that's extra super double plus ungood. We can't do that. but it's very clear in the Bible. And I've been thinking about this for several weeks. It's very clear in the Bible that God calls us to do justice. And that's Mm -hmm. at least in the English translations, that's what it says. He has shown you, oh man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you, but to do justice (laughs) and to love mercy and to walk humbly with our God. So the question is, whether you call it social justice, restorative justice, biblical justice, the point is that Christians are called to do justice. And mm-hmm. I think this is the, the, a, a part where like the radical, the traditional and the feminist all cross in yeah. that we think justice is doing justice and, and, and the fact that it's translated as doing justice, meaning it's something active. Yes. Mm-hmm. So I actually drew out um, the Venn diagram and trying to figure out how I feel myself as traditional, radical, and feminist. Mm-hmm. And the center of it, the one where all of them cross, oh, I just mm-hmm. hit the microphone. I apologize. Um, is love. Yes. Love mm-hmm. is what is, that is the first thing I wrote in the middle is mm-hmm. love. Um, I obviously, even in terms of tradition, I love my family. I want, um, I want my family to know that nothing from nothing but love, um, in terms of feminism, it's loving, you know, loving the women in my life, loving the women, not in my life for making their choices and, 
um, supporting the chance to be given, to have the choice for how they live their life. And radical, I think, especially in today's political climate is we have a lot of marginalized people who need love yes, and who need to be supported and lifted up um, and heard and respected. <laughs> and I think, and I think the main way that all three of these things collide is with love mm. and true justice, fair justice, just justice. Yeah. Cannot happen without love. Yes. Yes. Mm. Yes. And that's, that's why for me, everything comes back to love the Lord, your God with all your heart, soul, and mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Mm-hmm. Because when you truly love God and you truly love your neighbor as yourself, you recognize the need to do justice because the suffering of people around you breaks your heart the same way it broke God's heart to the point that he sent his son to suffer in our stead. Mm-hmm. And that's where my head, that's, that's where my head and my heart have lived for for many years now thinking about what is the, the what does it look like <clears throat> in my life to love my neighbor as myself? How do I act that out? Because for me, it's, it's an act of doing things. Love is, is, I think it's Elizabeth Elliott who wrote the book, Love is Not a Feeling. It's, it's not. Love is action. It's what you do. It's how you treat the people within your sphere of influence, whether that sphere's influence is your kids running around your backyard trying to kill each other, or the mayor or the governor happens to fall in your sphere of influence. <clears throat> and it's hard. I mean, even the example you just gave with kids, my house seems to be the house where all the children congregate. And I want to always be welcome and being like, yes, play. I have snacks. I have all the things. And other days I'm just like, go home. (laughs) (laughs) But I know some of these kids from these families that live around my neighborhood have struggles and have hard home lives and- You know, they maybe need just a neighborhood mom giving them a juice box Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. I have to show that love all the time. And (laughs) as an, as an introvert, that's, that's hard for me to do. Okay. I'm an introvert with a husband and five kids that that's the first hurdle, but you know, then, you know, my first two kids, they're, they're not like, they have disabilities. So they didn't really do the social thing. There was this like whole social community in the neighborhood that I had no idea existed until my third kid came along and started wanting to have play dates and things. And so I ended up having kids at my house and having to coordinate social schedules. And we are becoming that house in our neighborhood, the house with a bunch of kids where the neighborhood kids come down, they run around in our yard, their kids like literally running around the outside of the house screaming and I'm like okay all right how do I love these children (laughs) (laughs) and and how do I by you know by extension love their families Mm -hmm. 
And that's I like that's, that idea of activeness that there's the doing justice and and doing love in a sense mm -hmm. that the, these are things that take place in in real concrete yes. ways. Um, they're not just abstract principles, but they're mm -hmm. actual activities. Um, one thing I've just been reflecting on a lot that I think um, I think really grounds um, some of these ideas for me, in, including justice, is just this idea that um, we, we. Uh oh. <laughs> we lost Sarah. Um, hopefully she will be back. But um, again, yes, this the, the the way that the radical and the traditional and the feminist overlap is in thinking about how we live the things we believe <clears throat> and the way that we interact with the people around us such that it's, it's, I don't want to say it's apparent, but we're genuine about what it is yes. we believe. It's very easy to say, you know, I will pray for you versus can I pray with you? Mm. You know, I think if someone, um, especially someone that I don't have a close relationship with in church, even in my own church mm -hmm. says, well, we'll be praying for y'all to be like, okay. Um, but you know, if someone is active and, and says, may I please pray with you? Like, this is real. This person is taking a moment right now in front of me. So I see it happening that they're praying for me. Mm. Um, and it's, yeah, it's, it's very easy to just kind of, yeah, I'll pray for you. I'm thinking about you, um, type of thing. And, you know, it's, it's, tough as well. We always have going back to the kid analogy. We always have a cooler on our porch, um, with like some mini water bottles and some snacks and stuff. And, and we have a sign for delivery drivers to just take something. And a lot of the times when kids come over, I'll just be like, yeah, everyone can take, take something from the cooler, but I have to set the caveat of you can only take one thing <laughs> yes. from the cooler because you're going to clean me out. And even in my brain, I'm like, well, is that not being generous? <laughs> and no, it's being realistic that children will, you know, sometimes will just go, go at it, yes. have at it. Um, and I'm being, you know, logical, I'm still being generous and I'm giving with my heart. Um, but setting healthy, healthy boundaries. Yes. And healthy <laughs> boundaries with the neighborhood uh, children. <laughs> uh, Sarah says that her laptop decided to restart with updates. So she's grabbing oh, no. another one <laughs> and it should be back in a few minutes. So it's, it's you and I, Nikki, for, for All right. the next couple of minutes. <laughs> and I'm really looking forward to what Sarah has to say about justice, because she is very thoughtful mm -hmm. about these, about these kinds of things. And I think we, we have these conversations all the time. And for myself, I, I'm a scientist, so I make lots of observations and I observe how people interact with each other, especially on social media. And I have to remind myself that social media is not the real world. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and while people might be willing to say these kinds of things on social media, they might actually be different in person. I hope. Yeah. Especially when I see people saying some really mean and hurtful things. Yeah. I do think more often than, than not, I, I, again, hope more often than not, that is the case. Um, it's easy to hide behind a keyboard and say things that you wouldn't say to someone's face. Yes. 
And uh, I remember back in the wild, wild days of the internet and blogging, I realized, you know, anything that goes out on the internet, it stays there forever. Mm-hmm. So I better not say anything that I'm not willing to say to anyone's face. That's, that's mostly kept me out of trouble. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just as important in your social media, because for a lot of people, that's their interaction with you. Mm-hmm. You know, there are people that um, I've known since high school that I've reestablished a friendship with through social media. And, you know, it's important to me, that friendship. Um, but Facebook is our means of communication. And do I want to say, like, I don't know, I don't want to put something out there that that person is just like, oh, is that who you've become? Hmm. Yeah. When it's not. So I try to be really thoughtful. Yes. Yes. I would rather have arguments in person. (laughs) Yeah. Thoughtful communication is, is extremely important. And again, that's one of those things that kind of makes us radical these days. Yeah. Being thoughtful. (laughs) All right. Sarah is almost back with us. We're just waiting for the computers to talk to each other. (laughs) Oh, technology. Oh my goodness. I'm so <laughs> horrified. I'm so sorry. It's uh, all right. Happens. 21st century first world problems. Yeah. True. So we can just, you'll just like splice out this like chunk and it's going to be fine. Is oh no, it? I think we'll leave it in, leave it in because it's just, it's just fun. It's real life. You know, we're being authentic and vulnerable. Listen, as a feminist, it is our choice to keep it in. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So you were going to say about justice? I was. I'm going to try to at least start my sentence over so that if you do some splicing that it'll work. So to me, an undergirding to this idea of doing justice and, and doing love actively is really working over weeks and months and years to truly, truly believe that every person is made in God's image and Mm -hmm. to think what it looks like to actually believe that and live that out in real life. And to not put other people ahead of some people, to not devalue people based on my own judgments about whatever choices they might make, uh, to really Um, to be unwilling to budge, even among people who are widely disparaged, to be unwilling to budge on the image of God. Um, And to do that um, when it comes to um, groups that are widely agreed upon to have been marginalized and um, and to recognize our need to see the image of God and as a society to respect that. And also uh, people who are widely hated or Uh, widely judged to somehow say, I don't know how, but I know that I need to love my enemy. I don't get to devalue people Mm. on the other side of something, even something very important, even something that I'm absolutely sure they're wrong about, um, that I have no qualms, uh, 100% disagreeing. What would it look like for me to love my enemy and to recognize the image of God in every single human being? Um, and to me, that's really, that's what inspires and undergirds my, um, my reflections and my, um, my sort of, um, my thinking and praying about what it looks like to, to do justice and do love 
in the everyday ways that I can and maybe in other ways too. Yeah. And that is, that is so convicting thinking, mm -hmm. you know, having to, to keep in mind that yes, even the people that you disagree with on important fundamental matters, they are made in the image of God and must be treated as such. Mm -hmm. Darn. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then okay. almost, kind of another layer of that is we're called to forgive. Yes. Mm. <laughs> yeah. I am a strong believer that forgiveness is also a choice. And yes. while I, in situations in my life thus far, I will say, because I'm not perfect, have chosen to forgive people and I think have forgiven just about anyone I need to forgive or feel wrong, you know, whatever. Hmm. I would never, I don't think I could ever tell somebody who's been victimized or marginalized for centuries to forgive. I don't think that's healthy for me to do, especially as a white woman to say, well, forgiveness, forgiveness is freeing. Yes. I think forgiveness is freeing, but it is not up to me to tell you what to do. Yeah. If you don't want to forgive someone, you're, that is up to you to not forgive somebody. And I'm not going to judge anybody for not forgiving, you know, an oppressor or, mm. um, you know, a victimizer, anything like that. Yeah. So it's just, yeah, it's a whole, it's, it's, a, it's a whole thing. And I, I think about what forgiveness actually means. And I think some people think that forgiveness means that, you know, it's okay. It, it, it's okay. We're moving on. We're forgetting about it and acting like the thing that needs to be forgiven didn't happen and didn't leave a mark and didn't leave an impact. Mm -hmm. That's not how, I, I don't think that's how forgiveness works. Certainly not in the biblical context. Right. Because like actual things are actually done and have actual consequences. And they do leave marks on people's lives, sometimes unto the third and fourth generation, as the Bible says. Mm -hmm. And so forgiveness isn't about turning a blind eye to that. But I think taking those marks and transforming them from something that's a weakness into acknowledging, yes, this is here, this happened, and this is what we're going to do about it moving forward so that it doesn't continue to negatively impact people. Mm -hmm. um, I think about this particularly in the context of survivors of abuse, particularly sexual abuse, particularly in the church. Forgiveness doesn't mean that that person then has to go back into a situation where they were abused. Forgiveness means a recognition of the wrong that was done and moving to protect the person who was abused. Mm -hmm. I think another factor within thinking about uh, the sort of the challenge of forgiveness, when, uh, particularly when the sin wasn't personally against you. Um, the book Life Together by Dietrich Bonhoeffer has this sort of amazing conception of community in which we are such a close-knit community that I and my sisters in Christ would know each other so well 
that it would never seem strange if I were to encourage them to forgive someone because it would have been the case that I had experienced their grief alongside mm -hmm. them. Yeah. And yeah. I would be with them. We would be both wanting the same thing. And so having, having experienced their grief, having walked with them, then the call to say, what would forgiveness look like? The encouragement mm -hmm. to think about it as a sister in Christ mm -hmm. isn't a judgment on them or an attempt to coerce them, but it's an attempt to, um, to be a sister in Christ, to yeah. say, well, how, can, how can this move forward and what would it look like? Mm -hmm. And I think one of, our, one of our huge problems is there are just so few relationships that run that deep that it mm -hmm. seems that it's never the place of anyone to actually um, sort of encourage one another in those kind of specific ways. It will come across as pushy or um, it'll come across as uh, someone who doesn't really understand what you've been through trying to tell you what to do, which is mm. totally or inappropriate. even dismissive. Yeah, yeah, or dismissive. And, uh, and, and Bonhoeffer is the same way about sort of confession of sin. He's like, it should be so normal for us to confess sin to each other that when someone you know, repents to us, we would be excited about forgiving them because each of us is enacting a part of the gospel. And that's like, that's what we do. We're a gospel community. And we know that they would tell us if we had sinned against them and that we, we would want to, we would want them to tell us because we would want to repent and to be forgiven. Um, in this sense that we're in such tight community that all we want is to be like Christ. And all we want is to live out the gospel, that we're able to actually speak into each other's lives, mm -hmm. things that would seem judgmental among people who aren't that close, but are actually a, a means of encouragement. If you think about it, sort of the, the strict meaning of like giving someone else courage, encouraging them would just be, you know, there's a hard thing that needs to be done. Like, how can I help you do the hard thing yeah. that you need to do? Mm -hmm. uh, and instead of it being a sort of you just telling someone, you know, you're, you're not going to be free of this unless you forgive them um, in, in this way that that doesn't understand the depths of it doesn't understand how much, how much courage it will take to do that. And, yeah. um, and so yeah. I, I really mm -hmm. just I long for that sort of level of community where we're that able to be encouraging to one another in ways that would really move us toward Christ. I think that the key thing that you mentioned, Sarah, was that that sharing of the sorrow and lamenting mm -hmm. together the things that are wrong, the things that that need to be corrected, and understanding the understanding each other well enough to understand just what the impact of of those things that we're lamenting are on on each other's lives. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> And, and then, you know, coming from that place of understanding and connection and shared lament, then, as you said, being able to say, okay, what do we do now? And what do we do that is, that is going to help us heal and to help us continue in, in relationship, building that connection and that relationship? Yeah. Yeah. Forgiveness is, is active as love is, as justice is. Yes. Mm -hmm. these, these are not passive things. 
at all. And it, it takes awareness of, of yourself and awareness of the, the people around you and awareness of how you present yourself to the people around you. So I, I think we've, we've kind of, if we keep going, we're going to be here for like another hour and. <laughs> cause you'll open another can of worms. Yes. Cause I'll open, <laughs> another, I'll open another can of worms. I have but, a feeling that these are what, this is what our episodes are going to be like. Just, we should just be radical, traditional feminists in their cans of worms. Yes. <laughs> oh look, there's another can of worms. <laughs> So, and um, my my children are eerily quiet, and I don't I don't Same. like it. <laughs> so I, we will we will wrap it up here. And uh, thank you to our listeners for listening in on our conversation here on the Radical Traditional Feminist Podcast. I'm your host, the Idea Dynamo Samantha Pierce, and joining our conversation today are my co-hosts Nikki Park and Sarah Hammersma. I try to say your names in alphabetical order, but I keep forgetting uh, one of these days. You can hear us wherever quality podcasts can be found on the interwebs. <laughs> and we look forward to having another conversation next month about what it means to be radical traditional feminists. Thanks for listening.